Before we open uh, to the Gospel of Luke today, before we look at our main text, our main passage, what I want us to do is look at a verse from the book of Romans. And I want us to remember these words as we look at everything else and think about everything else uh, we're going to talk about today in our Next Door, The Art of Neighboring series. We read in Romans, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We need to honestly always, always remember uh, that Jesus in his teaching, he doesn't just call us to be good people. He doesn't just call us to be better people than we used to be. What he does is he calls us to be new people. He calls us to be different people. And I believe that this uh, calling is twofold because on the one hand, he calls us to be different than who we once were before we came to faith. So it's a very personal calling. But at the same time, he also calls us to be different than the world around us, which is a public calling. And when I say he calls us to be different, it's more than just a different set of behaviors. It's more than just, you know, thinking, well, you know, now I go to church and before I didn't. It's a calling to a different set of values altogether. And we should remember this reality all the time, but... When it comes to how we interact with the people in our lives, and when it comes to the type of neighbors that we have been called to be, these words need to ring loud and true in our ears, especially in light of today's topic. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. Luke 6, 27 through 36. This is our, our main passage today, and we're going to read it in just a moment. And the reason that I wanted to share that verse in Romans with you before we did anything else where we read about this, the importance of not copying the behavior and the customs of the world and being transformed in our lives is because the words that we're about to read by Jesus are up there with some of the most difficult, maybe even the most frustrating things that he ever said while he was in his earthly ministry. Let's go ahead and read this before we do anything else. Uh, If you're able, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? I'm going to read Rome, or excuse me, not Romans. I'm going to read Luke 6, verses 27 through 36. You can follow along as I read aloud. Jesus says, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the most high for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. 
Thank you. You may be seated. We always ask for God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of his word. Jesus is preaching in Luke chapter 6 in what's known as the Sermon on the Plain. And if you read through his whole message, you see that it's very similar to the Sermon on the Mount that we see in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Uh, It's so similar, in fact, that there are some people who believe that it's actually the same event. But what we read in Luke's gospel is uh, it recounted with more of a Gentile audience in mind as opposed to a Jewish one. Uh, Either way, though, what we see is that Jesus challenges his audience in a number of ways. And none is more striking, more difficult than when he tells them to love their enemies. Love your enemies. Now, as you can imagine from that passage, from the length of that passage, there are uh, many things that we could talk about when it comes to this topic, uh, this call, this, this love, this challenge that we see. But what I'm going to do for us today is I'm going to look at about three and a half things. And the reason that I say it like that is because the final thing, the final point has uh, two very important parts to it that we have to appreciate. So if you're taking notes, if you like to take notes, you can write this down next to a number one because the first thing that we need to recognize about this love is that it is a love that is countercultural. It's a love that is countercultural. I don't know if you could uh, look back through a history book and find a culture, a civilization, a nation, a people group, however you want to classify it, and, and, and that they would be on board with this. This, this, this idea of loving our neighbors goes against our human, or excuse me, loving our enemies goes against our human nature. And because of this, we have to recognize, you have to recognize that this command is just as countercultural for us today as it was for Jesus's original audience that heard it. And one of the things that I was thinking about as I was putting this message together and as I was just trying to really uh, figure out what the best uh, things to communicate was, was I was a little bit worried that we don't appreciate the, the gravity of this command anymore because on the one hand, especially if you've grown up in church, you're probably very familiar with it. It's something you've heard before. In fact... It might even sound a little bit cliche because you hear it over and over and over again. But there's something I want you to think about for just a moment. It's a question. It's a question that I want to ask you. And it's a question that I asked myself this week numerous times as I was preparing this message. And so I want you to think about it before we go any further in our time together today. Who is your enemy? Who is your enemy? What person, what organization, what group, you know, whatever, what comes to mind when I ask you that question? I was sitting in church last weekend listening to Matt Pineda talk about the Good Samaritan, the great parable that Jesus tells because a teacher of the law, uh, he wants to justify his own behavior. And so he asks this question in response to Jesus. He says, well, who is my neighbor? You know, how far do I have to take this love that you call me to? And as I prepared for this message today, it made me wonder who my enemies were. 
And the reason that this was a question I asked myself, and I realize that this, on the one hand, is a pretty naive way to think, but at the same time, I can say this with honesty, because when I thought, well, who are my enemies? The first thing that came to my mind was, well, I don't, I don't have any enemies. Not really. Maybe some of you felt that way as well. Probably not all of you, but maybe some of you. And at least for me, when I thought about this and when I think about what it means for someone to be an enemy, it just seemed like such a, a loaded uh, term, such an extreme uh, term, such a, such a difficult way for me to think about a relationship with someone. You know, my first thought, like I said, is, well, I don't have any enemies. I have people that I disagree with sometimes. I have people that I don't get along with. I have people that I don't like very much. I have people that I hope I never see again for the rest of my life. <laughs> but I don't have any enemies. I mean, not really. I mean, come on. Are you starting to track with me a little bit? I mean, we need to really think about this. Do you get along with everyone? Do you agree with everyone? And not just because you have a really easygoing, agreeable personality, but because you actually think the same way that they do. Are you happy with all of your neighbors? Even when they start to shoot off fireworks for the 4th of July in May. I mean, maybe I'm the only one that has neighbors like that. And they keep doing it into August for some reason. Do you always get along with your coworkers? Do you always get along with your bosses? Do you always get along with your kids? What about your parents? I feel like I, I, feel like I should stop before we really go down a dangerous path there. But this is the reality that we have to deal with. And the reason I'm saying these things, the reason I'm asking these questions is not because, it's not because I want you to think that everyone is actually your enemy. That's not the goal. It's because I want you to see and I want you to understand how broad this command is. Because there's a danger. There's a danger that when we read these words, love your enemies, that if your initial thought is similar to mine, well, I don't, I don't have any enemies, not really, not like, not like, you know, we think of, then what happens is we limit this command in such a way that it literally applies to only the most extreme situations in life. And when we do that, what happens is we excuse ourselves from having to live it out in any real and meaningful way. Because, you know, what happens is you think, well, that person that I argue with all the time, they're not my enemy, we just have different opinions. And because we just have different opinions and because they're not actually my enemy, that means, well, I don't have to love them the way that Jesus calls me to. Whenever we justify ourselves like that, this command, it loses some of its teeth because we read this and we think to ourselves, just like I did, well, I don't have any enemies, not really. There's an assumption in Jesus's words that we can't miss. And it's this assumption that when you become a Christian, when you become a new creation, when you become different than who you once were and different than the world around you, that all of these changes, they're gonna lead to some type of conflict in your life. Now, maybe it's not life-threatening conflict. Maybe it's not constant conflict. But when you're truly different, when you're truly different than the world around you, there's going to be some level of pushback. And I love this quote from Warren Wearsby, and I have lots of quotes for you today, so just prepare yourselves. 
He says, Jesus assumed that anybody, anybody who lived for eternal values would get into trouble with the world's crowd. If you live for eternal values, you're going to get into trouble with the world's crowd. And we know this is true because the reality is when we get into trouble, even when we know that we are in the right, actually, I should say, especially, especially when we know that we are in the right, what's our natural reaction? It's to fight back in some way. It's to get defensive, to hold grudges, to keep score, to get even. I mean, all these things and more, they're what come naturally to us. It's what comes naturally to the world. But remember, we're not called to live like the world. And the truth is, I believe that there are a few places where that difference needs to be more pronounced, more visible, more blatant, more obvious than when it comes to how we treat our enemies, when it comes to how we treat the people that we disagree with, the people that we have differences with, the people that we live in conflict with. Because, and you know this is true, we live in a world that loves the idea of revenge. We read books, we watch television shows, we watch movies, all centered around revenge. Someone's story begins with them being wronged, something happens to them, and then they become, to us at least, sort of a sympathetic hero, and we cheer them on as they seek to balance the scales of justice, to pay back what has been done to them, to give as good as they got. Then Jesus comes along and says, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, which, and I'll say it like this, It's bad enough for him to say it like that, but he makes it even worse because he doesn't just keep it at like an emotional level where we can sort of have an ethereal sort of, yeah, I love everybody kind of attitude. Because he goes on to say, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. One of the things that you see time and again when reading the gospels is that Jesus is always getting into trouble with the, the religious leaders. And You know, he's getting into trouble with them for a variety of reasons, almost constantly. But one is the fact that he was always associating with their enemies. And what we see is that, what we see is that they were so against people who were different from them. Whether that was a cultural difference, whether it was a racial difference, whether it was a spiritual difference, they were so against people who were different from them that avoiding their enemies, looking down on their enemies, even hating their enemies, it wasn't just something that happened. It was more like a virtue that they espoused. It was a virtue to them. And listen, we can't kid ourselves and think that this doesn't still happen in our world today because this command to love our enemies is just as countercultural for you and me as it was back then. People point to their, excuse me, they try to point out rather their own righteousness, not by the things that they do, not by the relationships they have, not by the bridges they build. They try to point out their righteousness by all of the things that they don't do by all of the people that they don't associate with, by all of the people that they avoid. That's how the religious people in Jesus' day behaved. We can look at Luke chapter 5. Jesus is eating with Matthew and other tax collectors. And this was the way that the Pharisees responded. They complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum? 
Now, that's just one example. But it's a pretty good, it's a pretty accurate example of how self-righteous people, highly religious people felt about their enemies. Avoiding them was a virtue. It was a way to show how spiritual they were. And then Jesus comes in and he messes everything up because he talks to people who are different than him. He goes out of his way to meet people and to help people that the Jews saw as their enemies. He eats with them, which was a big deal in that culture. He tells people to love them. I mean, here's the deal. I can stand up here today and I can tell you that this love, this love that we're supposed to have for our enemies, I can say that this is a countercultural love and that's an accurate statement, but I don't think that there's a way for me to truly convey to you the, the shock that would have been felt by Jesus's audience when he spoke these words. I don't think that there's a way for us to, to truly uh, understand their inability to comprehend just what he had said. And it makes me wonder how many of us really, truly follow Jesus' example today. I mean, I mean, how many of us really treat our enemies, the people that we disagree with, the people that we don't like, in a truly countercultural way? Or do we avoid them because it's just easier? Do we make sure that we're separate from them? If they're going to do that, I'm going to do this. If they're over there, I'm going to be over here. It just makes things easier. But remember, Jesus constantly calls us not just to be good, but to be different. And we have to be aware of this because it's so easy to justify this behavior. I love what C.S. Lewis writes about in Mere Christianity when it comes to our enemies. He says, we must try to feel about the enemy as we feel about ourselves, to wish that he were not bad, to hope that he may be cured. In fact, to wish his good, that is what is meant in the Bible by loving him, wishing his good, not feeling fond of him, nor saying that he's nice when he is not. You see, loving our enemies is countercultural because it doesn't come naturally to us, but Jesus calls us to so much more than just what comes naturally. We have to be aware of that. The second thing we see about this love, number two, is it's a love that is impractical. It's a love that is impractical. I'm going to go back to Luke chapter 6 and just uh, kind of reread a big section of our passage today. He says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. It's an impractical love. Now, before we get too far into the second point, there are a couple things that I really want to point out, okay? And the first thing is what these words are not. 
what these words are not. They are not Jesus telling his followers that the best thing that they can do is just let themselves get walked over all the time. It's not a calling to let ourselves get beat up physically or emotionally. It's not saying that we just have to let abuse happen to us or our friends or our family without standing up for justice. That's not what he's saying. But the second thing that we need to understand has to do with what he is saying, what these words are, what these words are. Because what they're telling us is that we need to have an attitude. Uh, there's, a, there's an underlying principle beyond the specifics of what we read. There's an underlying principle in these words that basically says, when others are negative and bitter and cruel, we need to be positive and hopeful and kind. When others are selfish and prideful, we say, I'm gonna be generous and humble. It's a calling that highlights the different way Christians are supposed to not just behave, but think and feel in our lives. I mean, our natural reaction is to fight fire with fire. If someone does something bad to me, I'm gonna do something bad to them so that they know what it feels like. But this is what we read in James 1 verse 20. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. And righteousness is our goal. Not only are we called to love our enemies in a, what you could call a proactive countercultural way that we talked about with our first point, but we're also called to love our enemies in what I would just say is a reactive way. And what I mean by that is we're called to love them even when they treat us wrongly. And here's the deal. I don't want to spend, you know, any more time on this kind of uh, section than I need to because there's so much that I want to talk about to you today. Uh, but I feel like I need to try my best to explain this at least a little bit. Because what Jesus is talking about here when he's, when he's, when he's uh, saying these words to us, especially when he's talking about, you know, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other. If someone takes your uh, coat, offer your shirt also. What he's talking about is not so much self-preservation as pride preservation. Because that's what gets us in trouble so much of the time. It's our pride. Because it's, it's not a command to not defend yourself or to not protect yourself from danger. I already said that. It's not a command to just let someone, you know, break into your home and do whatever they want to you and your family. That's not what he's talking about here, okay? What Jesus is referring to is our natural desire to, to save face. I and mean, we'll, we'll just use the very first thing he says in this section, uh, the idea that someone's gonna slap you across the cheek and so you turn the other cheek to them as well. Because slapping someone across the face, especially in the culture that Jesus was speaking to, it wasn't so much a violent act as it was a demeaning act, if that makes sense. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to split hairs here. I'm really not. I'm just trying to say that what Jesus is referring to is, is often not as simple, not as clear cut as people want it to be. Because the truth is so much of the time we have this desire to fight back or to, to d defend ourselves or to get even with someone, um, not because our lives are really in danger, but because our pride has been wounded. We've been humiliated in some way and we don't like that but we need to remember the bigger picture of what Jesus calls us to not just to love our enemies but even how to feel when we're treated badly because of our faith if you look back just 
just a little bit in Luke chapter six earlier, this is what he says. He says, what blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the son of man, because you're a Christian. When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember their ancestors treated the ancient prophets that same way. It's not about trying to be vindicated in the face of our enemies. It's about trying to be more like Jesus so that our character reflects his character, so that our attitude reflects his attitude. And we need to remember that he wants all people to be saved. And it doesn't mean that we can't pursue justice or anything like that. If you, if you go into your gospels and you read the story of Jesus being on trial the night before he was crucified, you see that at one point, He's slapped across the face by one of the religious leaders there with him. And he doesn't fight back. He doesn't lash out, but he also doesn't just stay silent either. He says, if I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? That's him calling out an unjust act. It's him saying, you know that what just happened is wrong. When we're attacked for our faith, we need to remember that the goal is not to defeat the one attacking us. The goal is for God to be glorified in us. And I realize that's a lot easier for me to say up here right now than when we're in the heat of the moment. But if we never think about that, if we never appreciate it, then when we're in those moments, we never have a chance of doing what's right. Okay, so now that everyone's on the same page with this, And no one will ever have any questions about these words ever again, I'm sure. I want us to look at this impractical love that he calls us to. And the truth is, even though we read a pretty big section and there's a lot of great specific things that Jesus says in that passage of scripture, this impractical love can be summed up in one sentence. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Now, here's the deal. You can read uh, about other religions. You can read about different philosophies. And you'll come across something that sounds very similar to this time and time again. But what makes Jesus' words so unique is that when he speaks them, he speaks them in the positive sense. And others speak them in the negative sense. And here's what I mean by that. Often what you'll read is something along, along the lines of, Don't do anything to anyone else that you don't want done to you, okay? Don't behave badly. Don't do this if you don't want it to happen to you. And listen, that's not a terrible rule to live by, but at the same time, it's not a radical one. It's not a countercultural one. It's not an impractical one. And the truth is, I think that when you look at Jesus's words and you kind of twist them into the negative side of things, what you can actually see is that it comes more from a place of selfishness and self-preservation than selflessness. And you just think of it like this. Okay, I don't want anyone to be mean to me, so then I won't be mean to anyone. Okay, that makes sense. But then you kind of go a little step further. I don't want anyone to ever challenge anything that I believe. So then I'm not ever going to challenge anything that anybody else believes. I don't want anyone to ever call me out for my bad behavior. So then I can't ever call anyone out for their bad behavior. See, what this does is it becomes something very quickly that's just practical. It's practical. 
It's the best way to make sure that you get to live the easiest life that you want to, but that's not what Jesus calls us to. Jesus turns this idea on its head with his words, and by making this a command about doing to others what we would want done to us, it means that sometimes we're called to get into the mess of people's lives. And this is because, and we know this is true, even though it's difficult, we know this is true. There's nothing loving about seeing a self-destructive person or self-destructive behavior or a sinful addiction going on in a person's life and not saying anything. There's nothing loving about letting them go down that path of destruction. Now, is that person going to be grateful that you've called them out? Probably not. But do you love them so much that you're going to do whatever you can to help them, even if, especially initially, they don't want your help? It's a selfless call, and it's a difficult call. When we read in our text today, we see what we see is some things written out plainly, and we see other things that are only in principle. But what we come away with is Jesus telling us to do things like love, do good, bless, pray for, endure, give. It's a call to action. And I call this an impractical love because of who he's telling us to do it for. It's a love that may never be reciprocated. It may never even be appreciated in this life on any level. But Jesus doesn't just call us to be different. He calls us to love different. I mean, what's, what's practical is for us to have a very back and forth relationship with, with someone. To say, okay, if I'm going to do this for you, then you owe me one. I mean, okay, have you ever helped anyone move before? Talk about being able to hold something over someone's head for a while. That's like having a get-out-of-jail-free card almost. I mean, that's, that's the world we live in. But Jesus is saying, this is what everyone else does. This is what makes sense. This is what is practical to keep score, to say, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. But he looks at us time and again, and he says, be different. Be different. Number three, loving our enemies is a love that is personal. It's a love that is personal. And this is where we have to end things today because there are two sides to this point. And I, I truly believe that if we're going to love our enemies the way Jesus calls us to, if we're going to fulfill this calling in our lives to live by a different set of values than what makes sense in the world, we have to understand two very important things. And both of them fall under this uh, kind of understanding that it's a love that is personal. And the first thing that we need to always remember about this love is that it means when we're loving our enemies, we are loving people. We're loving people. And I realize that that sounds like a bit of an underwhelming statement today. But it's a truth that we have to keep at the forefront of our minds because people all over the world and all throughout history have dehumanized other people as a justification for either how they treat them or for why they avoid them. Jesus calls us to be different. I know that I've read this quote before uh, from C.S. Lewis. It's, it's one of my favorite quotes of his. It's from my favorite book that he wrote called The Weight of Glory. He's talking about people. He says, there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. 
but it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendor. When we see people, people who annoy us, people who get on our nerves, people who, who argue with us, people who, who cheer for a different sports team than we do, people who vote differently than we do, people who talk bad about us, people who hold things over our heads. When we see these kinds of people, and the truth is I could just keep going when it comes to the descriptions. When we have those experiences with them, one of the most powerful things that will help us live this call to love our enemies is to remember that they are people made in the image of God. And that they are sinful and they are fallen. And the truth is they're people in many ways just like us. And this leads me to the second part, to the other side of this love that is personal. And this is what I truly believe, and I want you to appreciate it as best you can. We're never going to be able to love our enemies the way Jesus calls us to until we recognize that what Jesus is calling us to do, what Jesus is calling us to do for them is what he has already done for us. Romans 5 verse 10 says, for if, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? When we were God's enemies, Colossians 1 verses 21 and 22, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were enemies. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ and in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you were holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Do we appreciate, do we appreciate that at one point in our lives, we were enemies of God? And do we appreciate that when we were his enemies, he loved us? I'm not, I'm not 100% sure that this is something many Christians today even really think about, especially if you grew up going to church. But we have to understand that whenever, whenever we lived outside of the saving grace of Jesus, whenever we lived outside of a relationship with God through Jesus, we were God's enemy. You know why we should want what's best for someone who disagrees with us and lives life differently than we think that they should? Because God wanted what was best for us when we disagreed with him and when we lived our lives however we wanted. And if you're listening to this and the first thing that comes into your mind is, is this thought of something you're like, well, I've never disagreed with God. I don't wanna be insensitive today. I'm not trying to do that. But you know who thought like that? The Pharisees. And the religious leaders, the ones who thought that they were so right with God that they didn't need a savior. They thought they were so right with God that they couldn't even stomach the idea that anyone would have the nerve to challenge them. And we were all of us at one point separated from God. And when we were separated from God, we were his enemy. But what did Jesus do for his enemies? I can tell you, but I also want you to understand that the truth is I've been telling you this whole time. 
Jesus loved his enemies. Jesus did good to those who hated him. Jesus blessed the people who cursed him. Jesus prayed for the people who hurt him. When Jesus was slapped, he turned the other cheek. When he had the clothes off, he had the clothes off of his back taken from him. He gave when people asked, even though he knew that they could never pay him back. He was kind and he was compassionate, not just to the people who were like him. I mean, who was like him? But that didn't stop him. And it shouldn't stop us. It shouldn't stop us. Because we've experienced the power of someone loving their enemies. In the introduction to the book, Uncommon Ground, Living Faithfully in a World of Differences, Tim Keller writes, Jesus doesn't tell us to tolerate our enemies. He says to love them. And thank God that Jesus does not merely tolerate us. He embraces us across difference and welcomes us into his arms. This, this love that Christ has called us to, it's countercultural, it's impractical, and it's personal. It's the gospel. It's the gospel message. It's the good news that we're called to share and to show, not just with the people who are like us, not just with the people who agree with us already, but with all people, even the people that we consider our enemies. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this love that you have given us. Thank you so much for this love that you've called us to, for this love that you have modeled for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us all to be open and honest with ourselves and how we think about other people. Let us not hide behind a false sense of self-righteousness, but to live out this calling to love our enemies and to rejoice, to rejoice every day that when we were your enemies, you didn't try to defeat us, you died for us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.